0: Florida Business Minds, presented by the Business Journals of Florida, brought to you by Tico Peoples Gas. At the heart of Florida's energy, we open the new year by putting our state's biggest issues front and center. Tampa Bay Business Journal editor Alexis Milner welcomes former State Senator Jeff Brandis, founder and president of the Florida Policy Project.
1: Jeff Brandis, welcome to the Florida Business Minds podcast great to be with you. It's really great to have you with us. There's just tons to talk about in a relatively short time, given your broad interest in economic development, automation, transportation, affordable housing, criminal justice, and insurance policy, just to name a few. So we'll get right into it. I want to explore in a few minutes your work leading the Florida Policy Project. But you spent 12 years in the Florida legislature before your last term ended in 2022. And I saw you earlier in the year at a reception for Hattie, the St. Pete manufacturer of 3D Furniture, for which you're an investor, it began to give me a little of insight of life after being an elected official. But let's just from a broad perspective, how has that transition from a decade plus uh, of being in elected life been for you?
2: Well, my big takeaway after 12 years in the Florida legislature was everything in Tallahassee is tactical. There is really no strategy. So nobody can define for me the strategy on property insurance, the strategy on criminal justice, uh, prison reform, the strategy for housing affordability. We kind of do these tactical moves year to year without thinking through the larger, broader strategy for the state of Florida. And so since leaving public office, I've started a nonprofit called the Florida Policy Project that seeks to attack that in a different way, which is really to address the major strategy issues of the state of Florida and really kind of focusing on a best practice model. So what are the best practices in criminal justice, property insurance, transportation and housing, which has kept me pretty much in the political spotlight and politically kind of still very, very active. I'm still in Tallahassee once every couple of weeks, meeting with legislators, hosting events, talking to folks, on some of these key issues, and just doing a lot of education, because I think one of the challenges we're finding is you know, we have new members coming in, and, and there just is a level of education that needs to occur every year.
1: I mean, you do things, or we all do things, because we love it, or we like to <laughs> think that that's you, you do what you love, the money will follow. And in this situation, you know, you have a long life of service, and in the military as well. And thank you for your service. We can never tell people who have done that that enough, but. I imagine what you're working on now is giving you the same intellectual satisfaction or at least some different kind of intellectual satisfaction than when you were, you know, in office.
2: Absolutely. This is a kind of a passion and an addiction to kind of help solve some of these tough problems of Florida. And, and you know, this is how I kind of get my frustrations out is be able to kind of package these things and say, look, here's the basket of solutions that we see working across the country. If we just get to adopt these, we will have better outcomes. Right. So our whole tagline is best practices equal better outcomes. And so how do we focus on the outcomes that we want? Not intent, right? Oftentimes we see legislation focusing on the intent of this legislation. I really want to focus on what is the outcome that we're seeking to achieve and what's going to get us there.
1: I want to drill down on a couple of the focal points for you, namely affordable housing, insurance policy, some of the things that you're really focusing on. But Sticking a little at the higher level around knowledge creation for legislators and younger legislators, the thing that popped into my head is, are they, do they listen? And is there this balancing act between the intoxication of power and responsibility that comes with that and the ability to hear data-driven research that you're creating?
2: So a complicated question with an interesting answer, right? I always used to tell people the Florida House was like the military organization and it had its generals, its colonels, its captains, and its soldiers, and the Senate was like forty Somalian warlords. That you know, sometimes we really weren't sure who's in charge. Uh, the factions were kind of changing. Unfortunately, I think what you've seen, partially because of term limits and just the change that we've seen over time, is that we've kind of house trained our, our senators. Like I think you want to house train your pets. I'm not sure you want to house train your senators, and that has led to some interesting kind of top down leadership that we historically had not seen in the Florida Senate over the last you know, decade or so, but we're starting to see that start to creep in. Unfortunately, when you kind of move into this kind of military style model where people kind of are following orders, people just aren't diving into the topics that I think they should be diving into. I, you know, oftentimes the young legislators will come to me and say, well, what should I work on? You know, I wanna work on you know, these 10 things. And I'm like, guys, look, focus on one thing and spend the next two or three years focused on that one topic, become indispensable to the state in that one area of public policy. And then maybe by year three or four, you can move on to two or three other things because you'll have mastered kind of one subject area or one policy area. And unless you do that, you end up being an inch deep and a mile wide and not really having depth in any area of public policy. And I think
1: you do a disservice to the state when that happens. Well, and given your the many facets for which you're interested in, how do you take that practice to yourself in terms of you know, really not spreading yourself too thin because you've got some yeah. pretty ambitious topics. Well, I mean, the beautiful thing
2: about, you know, and I have this very eclectic mix of things the Florida Policy Project works on. We work on four areas of public policy, criminal justice, property insurance, transportation, and housing. And those are eclectic in their interest, but they're also things that I had some level of knowledge on going in. You know, I focused on transportation pretty heavily my first few years in the legislature and then branched out and started doing more in criminal justice and property insurance space to where I became extremely knowledgeable in those two areas as well in the legislature. And then housing is just something that's kind of gone through my entire life. I mean, I've been in the housing industry since I was a little kid and my grandfather owned a lumberyard. So I've had that kind of vein throughout. So for me, these are kind of naturally four areas that I'm just interested in and topics that I've followed for years. But they're also, I think I think they're underrepresented in legislative knowledge issues. The insurance industry in Florida is incredibly complicated and very hard, so it takes a long time to learn it. And so you've got to really kind of focus in on legislators early on in their career and kind of task them with that. The prison system is one that's largely been ignored in the state of Florida for decades. And yet we just had a report that came out that said, listen, the legislature needs to spend between six and twelve billion dollars. To modernize their prison system because you know our oldest prison in florida is over 100 years old 85 percent of our prisons don't have air conditioning and we're lacking services throughout i mean we really don't have a department of corrections although we call it that we have a department of warehousing affordable housing probably is one of the number one issues number one or number two issue it probably changes with insurance in certain markets that we need to be addressing but Currently, the legislature has no studies going on on property insurance or housing affordability. So it shows the lack of knowledge, but also the lack of curiosity that's going on right now in the legislature to solve some of these tougher issues.
1: This raises issues around low attention span theater, meaning people's somewhat predisposed to not being able to to drill down and focus on the in-depth kinds of work that you're asking them to develop as a best practice. And then you also have the situation where you, you know, obviously it's a, the legislature is is dominated by one party. And so, you know, getting change to happen is tricky for both of those. But do you feel like you're making progress?
2: I do. I mean, I think part of it is empowering legislators and telling them, you know, you can do all of this stuff and you have the authority, you have the responsibility to help solve some of these problems independently of your legislative leadership. Right? Your legislative leadership has their own priorities and their own issues. And you know, understand they have a half life of two years and then they're going to move on. So maybe these are things you don't solve until year two, three, six, eight, but you've got to learn them now. And you've got to be prepared when the window opens for you to be able to solve some of these problems. And it's okay to have a different vision than your leadership because I guarantee you the leadership visions across the board are not all 100% correct. So it's encouraging them to have some level of independence. And also for them to begin to take deep dives themselves. And I think that's the thing that, you know, I still people you're elected to the Senate, but you become a senator after time. Right. And so same thing in the House, right? You're elected to the House. You become a state rep when you have a depth of knowledge and the independence to see yourself in that position.
1: Fascinating notion when you think about it like that, because when I think about politicians from a very local level, local mayors in various jurisdictions, Looking at their breadth of work, do they have a legacy project? Are they, you know, really committed to things that are going to force deep change and growth in a community? And so I imagine what we're hoping for is that that some of these junior legislators do capture that, become senators and, yeah, and because, get there. Right, right. Well, I always
2: told people it takes a vision and a champion to get anything done in Tallahassee and frankly, in local politics, too. And so it's important that we like declare what our vision is, like, you know, begin with the end in mind to kind of use some of the Stephen Covey principles, right? Like, how do we begin with where we want to end up and talk about the outcome that we ultimately want? And that translates, you know, from local politics to the city. What do we really want in St. Petersburg or Tampa? What do we want to accomplish? And then, you know, who's the champion that's going to get us there? And we have to be able to kind of put both of those together in order to have successful legislation and move cities and states forward.
1: We talk a lot at the Business Journal about our broad umbrella, which is economic development. I mean, we have beat structure for all our reporters, and you have, you know, can take a minute to thank you for being accessible, especially on automation, automated vehicles, transportation. I know when you were in office, you talked to my staff at regularly and offered great thank insight. You. So we appreciate that. But a lot of these topics are obviously, when you think about them, uh, even criminal justice and is a workforce issue because there's a big workforce potential there for some of those folks who are transitioning and have paid their debt and have demonstrated that they want to have productive lives. But it's not easy, I think, you know, again... With some of the difficulties, some of the issues, and maybe we can get a little granular. Take insurance, for example. I know that's been a focal point. To your point earlier, it's hard to decipher. We have a reporter on staff, Christina Georgia Coppola who's been really digging into insurance, and it's right. an area reporters' eyes glaze over, right? Sure. So, but tell me, I mean, it's a moment in time where it's crisis, but there is some light. Uh, help our audience understand, you know, where there might be opportunity for them, and what's the latest and greatest when it comes to the insurance crisis in Florida.
2: Well, look, the legislature did kind of what they had to do. The Winston Churchill quote that government tends to do the right thing after it has exhausted all other options really came to play here last December when the legislature passed a historic bill that addressed the tort issues of the state and kind of got at the one-way attorney's fees, which was really kind of the Achilles heel of the insurance industry and was really holding everything back. The challenge that we're finding now is inflation has hit Florida and inflation has hit new constructions. Particularly hard. And replacement cost on properties has gone up dramatically. And so the good, bad news is that rates are kind of stable right now. Unfortunately, that doesn't mean rates are coming down from here, but I think they will start to stabilize here at these levels. And we won't see the 40% rate increases that we've seen historically. I think everybody does want rates to come down. Unfortunately, with the inflation cost and the cost of rebuilding a lot of these structures, five years ago, you could buy a house or find a house for $200,000. That just isn't available right now. Um, I'm in the process of building some apartment units in Pinellas County, and it's going to cost about $300,000 to $330,000 a door for those of new apartments. And it just highlights the, the challenge that when the value of the property goes up, that value is part of the replacement cost and insurance is priced basically on that, uh, or a piece of it is. And so I don't see rates coming down. I guess that's the news. And what I would love to see is rates begin to come down. But for that, we need competition in the marketplace. One of the challenges that the state has right now is citizens' property insurance in the Tampa Bay market. They have about 50 to 60% market share of homes below $600,000. Well, clearly that's not sustainable going long-term. And oftentimes your private market insurers simply are just losing business because the government is so much cheaper. In fact, they're 50% cheaper or more in some of these markets across the state, particularly the Tampa Bay area and the Miami-Dade area, uh, where they have an oversized concentration of risk. That's a major challenge for new companies to come in when you're competing with the government that's charging half the price, not because the math doesn't show that, it's because citizens' rates are set by
1: politicians, not mathematicians whereas we require the rest
2: of the industry to be set by mathematicians.
1: Dynamics is quite compelling. And as you talk about building apartments and commercial real estate in general, I mean, these are all to have dampening effects on economic confidence, economic development and growth as well.
2: Well, I mean, it it just highlights the challenge, right? I think the mayor of Tampa has come out and said, hey, I want to build 10,000 apartment units, right? Like I think that was her number. Well, you just do the math. That's $3 billion that they would need to spend on apartments in just Tampa in order to meet that goal. I think they probably have, you know, between 20 and $50 million in their budget for housing affordability. So it just kind of shows like, we've got to come up with other solutions. And that's kind of what the Florida policy projects is driving for, right? Because in housing, if you don't fix zoning, you aren't gonna fix housing. And so part of our angle here beyond insurance is just housing affordability. What do we need to do in order to have that missing middle of housing. And what are the solutions for addressing that? Because every business that I'm talking to right now is having this challenge of like, I would love to move to St. Pete, but I can't find places for my employees to live. Or the hospitals that are here saying, where do my 20 to $25 an hour employees actually gonna live because apartment rents are going up through the roof and there's not a place for them to live. This is kind of an all hands on deck issue. That we have to address. And I think you're going to start to see. I know there's a variety of partners that are coming together that are going to start pushing cities and counties to do more on this issue.
0: Jeff Brandis joining us. Next, the issue of affordable housing when Florida Business Minds continues. People's Gas, working with businesses across Florida to lower energy usage and costs with efficient natural gas. Get cash back energy conservation rebates when you install new natural gas equipment. Learn more at peoplesgas.com slash biz rebates.
1: And this was a natural segue, which we didn't plan to go from insurance to affordable housing because they're so intrinsically tied, right? There's systemic issues here. And we see it, our staff, the small business and medium-sized business owner CEOs that I talked to who came up at breakfast this morning. There are very serious concerns about, you know, about the folks that we employ. And it's tied to wage growth, too, Jeff. I mean, this is another issue historically in a service economy that has struggled to move that needle. And, you know, we want to see the growth and the potential here. But all these sort of dampening effects make it pretty challenging for the reasons for which the work you're doing is important. I think it highlights the issue
2: of, like, we have to cast a vision for where we want to be and what kind of product that we want on the marketplace. And the simple truth is, Tallahassee has done a poor job of aligning incentives to encourage cities and counties to actually change their zoning and do allow for upzoning or for allow for accessory dwelling units. And I think there's an interesting dichotomy going on right now, just between, you know, it's almost like a tale of two cities occurring between the city of St. Petersburg and the city of Tampa on how they're trying to address housing challenges. The city of St. Petersburg has really focused on allowing for more upzoning, has really pushed accessory dwelling units, and they're starting to see the fruits of that results. You're starting to see a lot more redevelopment occurring in St. Pete, and especially with accessory dwelling units i think if you look back historically they you know they put in 20 10 years ago i think they're in the hundreds now of accessory dwelling units that they're adding on every day to the market there is no panacea there's no one solution there's no silver bullet to affordable housing it's a variety of solutions that have to be implemented in order to at scale address this problem but they all really are focused on zoning and florida's kind of has archaic zoning laws dated back to 1985 that really haven't been updated as part of a comprehensive strategy and i think that's what has to happen if we're going to see these things at scale the state legislature put i think 700 million dollars towards affordable housing last year it sounds like a ton of money right up until you do the math of dividing it by 67 counties and then realizing that an apartment unit is going to cost you $300,000, well, great. That means, you know, how many units are really, really going to build in Miami-Dade for 10 or $12 million? Not many and not nearly enough to kind of meet the problems at scale. So we have to think about creative solutions and frankly, scalable solutions. And that's what we're looking at. We're looking at best practices from around the country. Like what are other cities and counties and states doing to address these problems? And I think there are a variety of solutions We have to be honest about what the solutions are. And we have to have, frankly, I think you have to have Tallahassee putting an incentive structure in place that helps get local politicians over the nimbyism, right? Because they're going to have people showing up saying, well, we can't do this in my backyard. If I allow for a garden style apartment on it, what a former single family home or two single family home lots, that's going to change the nature and character of my neighborhood. To that response, I would say, listen, if I could, you know, be czar of housing, I would make Florida Old Northeast. Right. So if you drive around Old Northeast, Old Southeast, and St. Petersburg and, and some portions of South Tampa before kind of the overriding zoning laws went into place, what would you find? You would find single family homes next to quads or duplexes, next to small garden style apartments. And, you know, people say, well, that will change the fabric of my neighborhood if we do that. And I will tell you in Old Northeast, it is the fabric of the neighborhood. Like it is a rich culture of. You know, people of varying income levels that all kind of figured out how to cohabitate. And it's a very rich area to live in figuratively and literally. But it is a great way for us, really a pathway forward of how we've got to fix housing affordability in Florida. Uh, We need those varying types of product mixes
1: in order to have a sustainable long term plan. It's a great message, Jeff. And inventory, adding, I mean, what we're talking about is is adding. adding you units. This is basically
2: economics 101 supply and demand, right? We have this overwhelming demand, 800 people moving to Florida every single day, and we don't have enough supply. And we definitely don't have supply where people want to live in key corridors. That's why we're building into hinterlands and people are driving in, which creates its own series of traffic problems, right? So we actually have to think about, all right, People want to live in downtown cores, How are we going to add more supply there in places that are essentially already built out? And that takes creative thinking and upzoning and allowing for accessory dwelling units and garden style apartments in communities to address these and allowing kind of developers to do what they do, but not having zoning being that
1: hurdle. Given what you need to begin to wind up, even though we have probably another hour or two of the conversation <laughs> that we could have, Jeff. So sure. That's always the case because there's a lot to talk about, which which is a blessing. So we'll do a little bit of a lightning round. When it comes to our audience, which is statewide for the Florida Business Journals for this podcast, which we're grateful for, what can our readers and listeners do on all these issues, meaning involving the policy project or you know, what's the call to action relatively tightly? What's the call to action? I think, one, meet with your legislators and talk to them about the issues that you're facing.
2: Bring them a copy of your property insurance bill two years ago and what it is today and ask them what they're going to do to fix it. I think they need to hear from you about that specific issue at a volume and a repetition that breaks through the noise. Two, they need to be working with their local cities in order to say, all right, housing affordability is an issue. What is our long-term plan and how do we address zoning in order to do that? So it's getting educated on these topics I think the Florida Policy Project website is a great place to go for that. And the Tampa Business Journal, obviously, a great place to go as well
1: as we're having these conversations. Great. That's very helpful because I think people want to know what they can do to help. We didn't even get into transportation policy and how do we fix it? What does it look like? What is? Can you boil down a couple of things into a few short responses? There's-
2: Yeah, there's three megatrends going on in the world of transportation right now. The world's getting more shared, it's getting more electric, and it's getting more automated. We can see this with the rise of Uber and Lyft and the electrification. You know, look, it's very likely that 25% of all new cars sold in 2030 will be electric. Yet, I went to Epcot the other day and there was, I think there was six spots for electric vehicles in all of Epcot's parking lots. So clearly, we've got to do a better job of kind of planning for this electric future. And it's kind of one of those chicken or the egg things. Do we put in the charging stations and then the cars are come? I'll tell you the cars are coming uh, and we have to get ahead of this. And you know, that's a partly the state, partly local, but partly it's issues of equity, right? Like we need apartment complexes to add charging stations in, and we need to have policies that address those types of things. And then ultimately the world's getting more self-driving. And so we have to think about how AI is playing in and machine learning is playing into the world of mobility. I think acutely the Tampa Bay area has some really specific challenges and needs. The thing that tampa can do is get its 500 million dollars from the state that they've already invested in and have a plan for bringing that back in place the most fascinating thing and i think the simplest thing we can do in all of transportation planning is properly adjust our stoplights right like it is the lowest it's the best return on investment you can make and so how do we work with cities i think even in like the city of tampa i think 70 percent of their controllers that actually control the stoplights are not adjustable from a kind of a central area. So maybe it's making a significant investment in just addressing our stoplights, not alone to fix the potholes yet, but let's do the, the, the low-hanging fruit first. So I think there are things we can do and strategies we can follow. This is something that I've been working on for years. I've been hosting this the Florida Automated Vehicle Summit for 11 years now, uh, where we talk about the future of mobility. No knock on Disney, but isn't Epcot the city of the future? Uh, it, it's, so, that, it, it's the yeah experimental prototype uh, community of tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. the mm-hmm. okay. acronym. So we're trying to push them too.
1: Good. Everybody needs a push in the right direction, which is clearly part of your role. All right. Well, last question for you. Uh, and it's again, thank you so much for taking some time with us. Is there a return to politics for you? I'm excited about
2: the future. Right now, I want to keep learning, keep working on solving some of these problems, building relationships with my fellow legislators, and acting as kind of a, a Sherpa or guide to helping them kind of see some of these solutions. What I've always found is if I make it easy for the legislator to do the right thing, they'll tend to do the right thing. It might not be on my timescale. Um, and I often found by the time I started working on projects to the time final, I finally got something done across the finish line of the legislature, it took four years. But somebody's got to start. And I'm passionate about this. I love working on some of these problems and challenges. And I I like to think of myself like, you know, how many people in their early, you know, their mid 40s have 12 years of legislative experience um, and the ability to work on some of these things in the state. So I'm, I'm pretty uniquely situated to be able to take this knowledge and wisdom that I've gleaned over the last few years and frankly, build on those relationships and grow forward. So we'll see what the future holds. And I'm looking forward to it
1: maybe one day returning to the roots of your St. Petersburg youth uh, to, uh, to be hyper-local. I said it, not you. Jeff Brandis, Florida Policy Project Sherpa. Thanks for being here, great to have you uh, with us. We look forward to continuing to have these discussions.
0: Great to be with you, thanks. Thank you for downloading Florida Business Minds, presented by the Business Journals of Florida. Brought to you by Tico People's Gas, at the heart of Florida's energy.